0: what happens when you get over 40, you have to have these, so, (laughs) yeah, so anyhow, uh, Craig had asked me uh, a few weeks ago about preaching on one Sunday night in April, and uh, I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, I've been kind of kind of fleshing out a sermon anyway, and had it all pretty much done. And uh, it was going to be on Ecclesiastes 1, verses 8 through chapter 2, verses 11. And I uh, <laughs> had everything done with it, and then Dylan gets up to preach a couple weeks ago, and he steals half of my material because basically I was going to be talking about Solomon, and he was the man that had the prestige, the power, and the position. Those were Billy's points, and that's exactly where I was going with that, so he did, he took some of my other stuff. (laughs) But we were going to talk about his life and how he had chased after everything, and how it ended up being meaningless, chasing after the wind. But uh, Dylan called me yesterday and he was at, we were talking about the questions for today. And he, uh, he's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm preparing for my new sermon. And I filled him in on him taking half of my stuff. And, uh, you know, I was looking for maybe an apology you know, some compassion there. And all I get is, well, I'm glad I went first. <laughs> you know, I thought you were my friend, you know. So, so anyhow, it kind of it flipped me for what I had to do. And uh, obviously God didn't want me uh, sharing that. He wanted me to go a different direction because Billy and Dylan and also Laney, uh, did a very good job of what they did. So, so some things have been on my heart since I heard these numbers. And, and these numbers are for the Southern Baptist Convention 2016. And we have 50, 15.2 million members in the Southern Baptist Convention But we've lost about a million members over the last 10 years. Now, I I wasn't real sure as to what that was attributed to maybe some death, whatever. But we have 47,000 churches, roughly, in our convention. And then I started hearing the numbers of, of, of our baptisms. And over the last decade, we've been on a 10 year decline. 2014, we baptized around 305,000 people. 2015, it was around 295,000 people. And last year, and this is the one that really concerned me, is that in 2016, we baptized the lowest number of people since 1946. 280,773 people. Now that's great that those people came to know the Lord. Amen. Praise God. But in 1946, with I believe the membership was around 2 million, and the world, our, our population in the U.S. was 141 million, they baptized 253,000. Now, our population today is 324 million with more members, but yet we're declining. And of those 47,000 churches, 10,000 of them didn't baptize one person in 2016, almost a third. like man what's going on and the number that really got me was if you crunch the numbers it took 54 southern baptists to baptize one person now ricky if it took 54 men to deliver a bedroom suit what would you do God, if it took 54 men to run a forklift, what would you be doing? Firing them. And I'm putting this into real-world perspective here. That this wouldn't be an acceptable number in any business, the military. This would not be acceptable anywhere. And these numbers, they, they angered me, they convicted me, and they, they burdened me. Because we see that in the, the United States, that the, the, the church has, has, has been losing its, its grip on the culture, its influence, if you will. You know, and we are known... The Southern Baptist Convention is known for sharing the gospel. We are known for that. Now, I'm not saying that other denominations don't, but we're known for it. We have the North American Mission Board. We have IMB. We're known for sharing the gospel. Four or five years ago, we were in JFK. Uh, It was me and Matt and Dylan and Courtney, and Courtney was talking to a lady And I'll never forget, her husband came up, we were all talking, they were Christians. And they were from the Church of Christ, and he was asking what we were doing. And I said, we're going to Scotland to to share the gospel and this and that and the other. And he said, you must be a Southern Baptist. I said, well, I I am, but that doesn't, that's not what defines me, but yeah, I am. And I'll never forget this, because he looked at me, and he said, man, he said, y'all are our last hope. He said, because all these other denominations, including ours, we're just not pressing the gospel. So these numbers ought to burden us and convict us in our own life. So I asked myself, what's going on? And as I prepared for for this message, I believe that we've forgotten our purpose in life as Christians. We've forgotten our purpose. And that brings us to the text we're going to be looking at. It's Luke 19.10. through 27 and this is jesus speaking for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost while they were listening to this he went on to tell them a parable because he was near jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of god was going to appear at once he said that is jesus A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money and said and the first one and the first one came and said sir your mina has earned 10 more well done my good servant his master replied because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter take charge of 10 cities the second came and said sir your mina has earned 5 more His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your minna. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, didn't you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his minna away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas." Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Let us pray. Father, we just come to you, God, thanking you and praising you, Father, for who you are. God, I just pray now that your words would be spoken. Father, that they would convict us, they would correct us, and they would encourage us. So, Father, we just thank you for all you've done and for what your Son has done for us. For it is in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sorry. So, as I was looking at this passage I was trying to debate whether just to stick with Luke 19.10 and not do the parable but then there was two reasons I chose to do the parable as well one, I needed to make sure I had enough to talk about but two and more importantly you're in it so am I somewhere in that parable you're in there Now, whether you're a servant or whether you're a hater of God, because there are only two types of people, those who are in Christ and those who are not. So up to this point, we see that Jesus is going through Jericho and he has just had an encounter with Zacchaeus and a large crowd's around him and most of you probably know the story of Zacchaeus he goes up a tree so that he can see the Lord Christ comes by and he says come down Zacchaeus for i dine with you today we know that Zacchaeus was, uh, was one of the chief tax collectors so they really hated him and um, so this is where this is the backstory to where we're at right here. And then Jesus makes this grand statement. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know, in our world today and since Christ has come, there's always been this debate. Of whether Jesus was truly the Son of God. Some in Christian sects say, well, for the Son of Man, title means that's his humanity, and others say for the Son of God means his deity. For the Son of Man is the most common title that Christ gave himself. But when it comes to him saying, for he is the son of man right here, he means that he is fully God and fully man. How do we know that? Well, when we go on to read, it says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once They knew he meant he was God because they knew what Daniel 7 said. Daniel 7 refers to Christ as the Son of Man. They knew what Isaiah said, Ezekiel, Zechariah. They knew what the Bible said about Christ, the Messiah, coming to set up his reign. But what happened is they missed the other parts of Isaiah, like Isaiah 53, and the parts of Psalm, the Psalms. And he had been telling them throughout his ministry and his disciples that that's not what he was there for. And yet all they could focus on was him coming to overthrow the Roman Empire and set up the millennial reign. So they knew what he meant. I have debated quite a few Muslims on that very point. Do they say, well, he never said he was the Son of God? He said he was the Son of Man. But Christ was saying that he was fully God and fully man, without a doubt. So the history behind this parable. As we know that as Christ used parables, he spoke about ordinary things things that people would understand. We talked last week about the the wineskins and the cloth. And in our today's understanding, the, the cloth tearing away really doesn't doesn't really resonate as well with us because all of our stuff is pre shrunken material. So you could get a brand new pair of jeans and cut a piece of cloth off and sew it on an old pair and wash it, and as long as your stitching was good, it would hold. But we know that back then, predominantly, their stuff was made of wool. And ladies, you know what happens to wool when you wash it. It shrinks. So Jesus used common things that would resonate with the people. And here, he was going through Jericho, and as we saw in the message this morning about the Herodians, this will be the backstory to that. Back in 40 B.C., this guy named Herod went to Rome to, be, to negotiate his kingship over this whole area. Because what Rome understood is, is when they conquered these areas that they would put people with different cultures, they knew that they needed their leaders in place, so they would allow them to have like subordinate kings. So Caesar was the ultimate, and they would allow these people to rule over their people. Well, Herod, who named himself Herod the Great in 40 B.C., went and negotiated with Caesar to be king over this whole area. Well, in 4 BC, he dies, but he leaves in his will that his three sons would inherit, and the kingdom would be divided up into thirds. So the one that got this area of Jericho was Archelaus. And what he did when he took over is on the first Passover he slaughtered 3,000 Jews. Now, back in those days, they ruled by fear. So, he was king, but he didn't have the official approval until he went to Caesar. Well, he and his two brothers were going to Caesar to get their official approval to be king. Well, the Jewish people hated him so much they sent a delegation to Caesar begging not to give him kingship. However, he was made king, but Caesar said you couldn't have the title until you won the people over, which that never happened. So we have the Herodians, who the Jewish people, the Pharisees, hated. But yet this morning we see that the Pharisees conspired with the Herodians the people they hate because they were Jewish government officials to try to kill Jesus. So that gives you the backstory of where these people would have understood what Jesus was talking about in this parable. It would have resonated with them. But ultimately, he was talking about himself. Because again, they thought that the kingdom was going to appear at once. And again, he was trying to let them know that is not what he was here for. And he goes on and he says, a a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten menas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. This is a reflection of of basically us. God has given all of us a gift and talents to be busy about his work. We know that Christ came. that he was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day, and that he was going back to the Father, and that one day he would return. But until his return, we are supposed to be using the gifts he has given us for his service. And then we see it says but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say we don't want this man to be our king. In John 18:39 through 19:15 it is when they the Jewish people take Christ to Pilate. And we know that Pilate says, here is your king. And they say, we don't want this man as our king. Crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows what's about to happen. Because he's about to enter Jerusalem. And his subjects, the Jewish people, Say that they don't want this man as their king. Said he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants, of whom he had given the money, and in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your minna has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied because you have been trustworthy in very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your minna has earned five more. His master answered, Take charge of five cities. Then another came and said, Sir, here is your minna. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, didn't you, that I am a hard man, taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could collect it with interest? We have three servants here. We don't know what happened to the other seven. But we know that each one was given a gift. For them, it was money. But we know that he expected each one of them to be busy doing work, they knew the expectation of their master. So what are we doing with the gifts and the talents that God has given us? Like I said, this parable, we're in it. Now where you're at in this parable, that's between you and God. But to know that one day you will stand before him and give an account of your stewardship. one day we will have to give an account he then goes on and says then he said to those standing by take his minnow away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minnows sir they said he already has 10 he replied i tell you that everyone who has more will be given But as for you, as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But, that word, but, when you see it, underline it and circle it. Because there's something important coming behind it. But those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them. In front of me. Another big debate in our world is there's no hell. God's not going to send anybody to hell. God's not going to judge anybody. But Christ covers it all. Right here in this one parable. For those who reject Christ they will also stand in judgment. Because here's the thing. Although they may hate Christ, they may reject Him, He's still their King, whether they like it or not. To the staunchest atheist that rejects all notion of any God, He's still their King. They will stand before him one day. We will all stand before him because he is all of our king. Every one of us, whether we're in Christ or outside of Christ, he is still the king of kings and Lord of lords, period. Nothing is going to change that. So I don't know if you're here today and you may not have accepted Christ as your personal savior. But I would tell you that God loves you and he does have a plan for your life. And as Buster shared this morning, for all have sinned and fall short of his glory. None of us are deserving of his grace at all. But yet it's a free gift from him that he freely gives. All you have to do is receive him into your life knowing that you're a sinner, repenting of your sin, and acknowledging Christ as your Savior. You know, as as I've talked to people over the years, heard people's stories, You know, it appears that there's a lot of Christians that live a broken life, a discouraged life, a defeated life. And according to 1 Peter 2.9, it says that we are a royal priesthood of believers. Now what does that mean? It means ultimately the purpose for our life is that we are to live the life of Christ and we are to share the life of Christ. That's what we are supposed to be doing. That is the purpose of our life. And if you aren't sharing the life of Christ, that may be part of the problem that you feel like you're living a defeated life or discourage life because you're only doing half of what we're called to do. We are to share the life of Christ as well. If there's one verse in scripture that sums up christianity. That's Luke 19:10. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what he came for. He didn't come to fix our government. He didn't come to fix our economy. He didn't come to fix the financial markets. He didn't come to fix poverty. He didn't come to fix the planet. What he came for was to seek and to save that which is lost. And if it was good enough for Christ to leave glory, to leave the heavenly realm, To come to this earth, to live 33 years of sinless perfection, to die on a cross, and to rise again on the third day, if it was good enough for him to leave heaven, the very word of God, that was the purpose he came for, then shouldn't it be good enough for the purpose of our life? Shouldn't that be the purpose of our life? For those who are in Christ? Because for the Son of Man came into your life, sought you out, and saved you from hell. That's the purpose He came for. And that is the purpose of our life. Those who are in Christ is to go and tell them, for the Son of Man has come. And we are to seek out the lost and share the love of Christ with the gifts and the talents that God has given us. That as we go in our workplace, we're living the life of Christ, but we're also sharing the life of Christ. Because it's a two-sided coin. It's not one or the other, it's both. We have to live it, and we have to share it. And if we want to see this country changed, then we have to get busy about his business. And his ultimate business is seeking and saving that which was lost. the writer of Ecclesiastes says it's appointed for man once to be born and once to die. When you breathe your last breath and you stand before God because 1 Corinthians 3.15 tells us we will all stand and give an account. We will all be judged for our stewardship here on this earth. All of us. We will all give an account. What excuses will you have? The wicked servant had plenty. The excuse of, well, I'm just a sorry sinner. That's not going to cut it. Because John eight thirty six says that Jesus came and what he set free, we're free indeed. We're free from that bondage. Well, I'm an introvert. I don't do well talking to people. You don't think God already knows that? He knows what you can't do. But he knows what you can do in the strength of his power. So what are you doing with the gifts and the talents that God has given you? What are you doing with those? Are you using them to seek and to save the lost through the gospel of Jesus? Let us pray. Father, we do just uh, thank you, Father, for who you are and for what you've done. And God, we do praise you for the works that you've been doing in our body. God, the lives you've been changing, God, we glorify you for it and thank you for it. God, radically changing lives. And God, that's what you're all about. But Father, you're also about us being about your business. Of sharing the good news of your son to a lost and dying world. God, I pray that you would show each one of us with the talents and gifts that you've given us to how we can impact our world through our life, through the way we work, through the things we do. But ultimately, we would share the life of Christ with our mouth Father thank you for all that you've done for it is in Christ Jesus name I pray Amen